If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a geometric nightmare, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we make Modron combat otherworldly and interesting? And what's a story we can use Modrons in that won't derail a campaign? And what details can we pepper in to use Modrons to their fullest potential? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. Today, we're talking about fighty robot folk. In the plane of Mechanus, they're going to punch you dead. Oh, thanks for that terrible rap or whatever that was. It wasn't a rap. It was just a structured way of speaking. (laughs) A very lawful uh, approach to... Direct? Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in the last episode, we talked about beefing up Modron culture. What is it they're all about? We brought up all kinds of problems. Right. Mostly mine. It was, I'm it was full of problems. Creating a culture that we could actually use in our games. That right. was the whole structure of the episode. Yeah, because generally I need to be coerced. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're very angry at all things in nerddom. And we need to coax you out of that with our episodes. That's, yeah, that's we why just, we make them. Yeah. So we want to figure out now how Modrons might engage in combat and make a good Modron encounter. Right, because we do have some problems with the way Modrons fight in the stats as they're written now. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we have more problems. (laughs) Because, I mean, the Monodron, just in case you're not familiar, there's five different stat blocks for Modrons in D&D, and it goes from Monodrone all the way up to Pentadrone. Yeah. So the Monodrone, the simplest version, fights with a dagger and a javelin. And they worked their way all up to the pentadrone and they got totally wild by removing their weapons, giving them an arm attack (laughs) and allowing them to spew some gas. Yeah, they're just like, no, we're going to take away your weapons and we're going to give you slap and fart. (laughs) These ones don't even get daggers. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) sure. And some have wings for some reason and other ones don't. Yeah. And there's just like, there's very little... For a lawful creature, there's not a lot of logic that goes into how they fight. Yeah, and I mean, all of this, if I didn't know all of the reasoning behind Modrons, I would say, I guess they have similar tactics to goblins? Like, javelins and daggers? Which is weird. You've taken these, like, incredibly basic, you know, fairly rudimentary, organic creatures from your fantasy realm who would very naturally have daggers and or spears. Yeah. And then this creature from another plane of existence that breaks all laws <laughs> of of reality and time and things like that, uh, they also use a sharpened stick, a sharpened stick <laughs> and a bow, something that the monkeys figured out thousands of 50,000 years ago here yeah. on Earth in a world of unlimited <laughs> magical <Potential>. imagination. <laughs> That's what we're going with. Yeah. So, how do we fix this? Well, before we get too wild and wacky here, 
we have to keep in mind that we don't want to make Modron so complex in battle that they're a nightmare to run right. for a DM. Because I could easily go into that territory. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Well, you're right, though. When we start breaking into like these higher concepts of like time and space and you know we're we're imagining mechanus to be a really foreign really interesting place to be with rules that don't make sense to those on the material plane yeah now all of a sudden a battle map does not work for me <laughs> now i need something that handles uh you know height and distance and somehow time as well so <laughs> a fourth dimension we of really... <laughs> some sort in the mix yeah we need a battle map that doesn't yet exist it'll exist in 3000 years yeah do you have a 4d battle map <laughs> no problem <laughs> so yes our goal here is to find that nice sweet spot some kind of middle ground that you know still startles and confuses players that you're not fighting goblins here there might be some kind of underlying logic for them to figure out. It could be kind of like a puzzle if they want it to be. And we can even do that to the point where, you know, the goal of Modron combat, I think we agree that it's never to just kill a bunch of Modrons. Yeah. They're a puzzle to be solved. Right. But not an annoying puzzle to be solved. And hopefully, I mean, this is a tall order. This is a little bit of a daunting task, but hopefully we can hit that middle ground, figure out some of these problems and resolve them in the Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. All right, so let's uh, do a bit of a recap on the Modrons, which, spoiler alert, is going to be quick because there's not much going on here. Right? Like, with some of our monster episodes, it takes us a while to kind of dig into the details of each ability. Peel back the layers yeah. of nuance within this stat block. But with this, there's five stat blocks that we can summarize real quick. I'll give it to you. <laughs> they keep getting smarter, going from four at the lowest and ten at the highest, and they get higher CR from one-eighth to two. So, more challenge yeah. and... Get smart. a little tougher. And they get a little smarter, but not that smart. Like 10. That's average yeah. human. So yeah. <laughs> we're not dealing with super intelligent beings here. Some of them have flight and don't think that it goes in a sequential order because like the first one gets it and the fourth one gets it. And what? Correction. Don't think that they go in any kind of lawful <laughs> approach, despite the fact that they're the most lawful creatures. <laughs> exactly. The monodrone, the basic, and the best, the pentadrone, both get flight. The quadrone, not the pentadrone. Oh, yes. The fourth one up. My <laughs> apologies. <laughs> Makes it less didn't sense. even make that much sense. It made less <laughs> sense than that. So it goes flight, no flight, no flight, flight, no flight, in case you're keeping track. <laughs> so, you Thank go. you for following such a, a sensical pattern. Yeah. So their attacks are, I'm not going to get into the specifics of which has what, but they got daggers, fists, javelins, short bows, and arms with varying levels of multi-attack going on. Yeah. It's the only thing that makes them stronger. The top tier gets paralysis gas. You can knock people out for a minute. And they all have true sight. So you can't really hide from them within a certain range. And I've got a bit of a bone to pick with the whole multi-attack thing as well. Is just that that is another one of the things that drives me nuts about Modrons. 
is that that makes combat that much harder to run. If I've got 10 various types of modrons on my battle map, and in order to make them better, I haven't given them any better abilities. I've simply given them multi-attack because, for instance, one of them basically gets their multi-attack as they make four short bow attacks. That's four attacks that I have to roll as a DM for the one of the 10 that's on the current battlefield. Yeah. So in a typical Modron combat where I've got some enough to pose any kind of threat to anyone, it means that I am sitting there for a solid 10 minutes trying to just add up all of the damage and roll multiple dice yeah. until my, you know, I get some kind of carpal tunnel <laughs> or repetitive stress injury from rolling so many goddamn dice. <laughs> it's going to get bad. Honestly, if I was running a lot of Modrons, I would probably roll a whole bunch of D20 before the combat, like write down the numbers or like, oh, yeah. you know, just and just kick them off. Yeah. I'm not I'm not rolling that much <laughs> in combat. And then I'm using the average damage dice. I'm just like writing down each attack. And like if I were to run them as written, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, 100 percent. Anyways. Let's get on to the constructive bit. I think we've broken Modrons down enough. And we have, but I still think they're so fun. <laughs> they could be good. Yeah. So let's figure out some more motivations because that's the first major sticking point that I have is as a DM, why the hell are they attacking? Do they just go, that was unlawful right. attack? Which talking about lawful, a problem that... <laughs> Sorry, you said we were done being reductive. But the whole lawful thing, Modrons are supposed to be all about law. Well, I find that really challenging because in my mind, law works like a tool to decide what is moral and immoral. So when you don't have good and bad in that equation, there there is no law for law's sake. I just don't get it. Well, not even moral and immoral. It's what is right and wrong based on a particular regional subset of a, a society yeah, a and it's culture. just like this is what we've decided so do we have to go to universal scale is that what the modrons are enforcing so all we can figure is you know the universe is based on math they follow logic mathematical physics rules. Yeah. yeah all of that kind of stuff all that to say we need some other motivations for why you might be fighting modrons one of the most interesting reasons for combat we were thinking is to rebuff those that have found their way into Mechanus. Right. Because we discussed in the last episode how they largely want to stay secret. Yeah. And so a party is going to need some kind of reason to enter Mechanus, which could be, you know, they're trying to get from point A to point B. And Mechanus is a cool, fast form of travel. It's going to get them there real quick because it's a fourth dimensional wonderland. They might need to obtain some secret knowledge about the building blocks of the universe for some other quest they're going on. Right. Trying to defeat a dragon. So let's figure out how to pierce the heart of a dragon without piercing its skin. Do they have the secrets in Mechanus? And I think another possibility could be resisting those stopping their efforts on the prime material plane. They're visiting the material plane to collect genetic samples or geographic samples, trying to make sure that everything is functioning correctly they're trying to like we discussed in the last episode potentially help their own evolution by collecting all kinds of information from across multiple planes yeah 
should anything get in their way, they might see that as a problem that is worth fighting. And maybe they're even going so far as to try to disguise themselves on the prime material plane. They're playing like three kids in a trench coat. (laughs) Some version of that. (laughs) Yes, I am human. Pleased to meet you. Another idea is you could have that small group of rogue modrons doing something else on the prime material plane. Like they're they're really doing almost anything. Yeah, you can use them like any other NPC at that point. They've gone rogue. Yeah. Mechanus and Primus and the rest of the modrons are probably going to have a problem with that. So there you get into some like, uh-oh, do we have to help these modrons stay on the prime material plane do we have to disguise like there's lots of different reasons why the rest of the modrons may have a problem with that and why they may come to blows yeah like maybe you create one of them as a lovable npc that the party then just wants to help that creates all kinds of primus adventures i think no matter what we do we need one lovable modron npc (laughs) with their pet cube I just want the players to find a, um, an emotional attachment to this creature so that I can utilize that and exploit it at some point. Very good. Yeah. I'm a bad man. It's the best DM tool. Yeah. Love. <laughs> the lesson is just never love. Yeah. I think the next thing we got to do to make these little robots make a little more sense is to change the flavor of their current attacks and abilities just a bit. Like, we don't need a total overhaul here. We don't need to even change their stats if we don't want to. But I think a basic reflavor, we could make them seem coherent and logical and fall into line with that advanced being and not, you know, someone sitting there sharpening a stick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of different ways that we could look at this. And like we kind of talked about in the last episode as well, like they have access to things like positioning in the fourth dimension they can move things and freeze things and like they can see things and travel through spaces differently than any other creature in the monster manual can so like like you say it doesn't have to be a ground up rebuild but it's definitely reflavoring because i don't want to do a multi-attack of a bow and an arrow (laughs) four times Well, the first one, I think, is they have a disintegration ability that I didn't even mention because it's not too big of a thing. But if they die, their body disintegrates into dust, leaving behind its weapons and anything else it was carrying. But I see that as more of a phasing out of the third dimension kind of thing. Right. Rather than a turning to dust. I don't really get that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I get where they were coming from, like kind of robot-y biological things and they fall apart and then somehow that turned into dust yeah and maybe it even leads into the secrecy part like maybe they just that's by design yeah with their physical attacks like you're talking about i think it'd be neat to have them phasing their attacks in and out of the third dimension to cause bodily harm to someone like instead of shooting an arrow you conjure an immovable rod inside a person yeah that's that's the kind of shit that I'm after. You know, maybe it goes away after a round or two. However you want to, like, do the specific mechanics of that. Maybe it stays for a while. Maybe it just catches the edge of them and the person can tear away. And then it's sitting there as an immovable rod that they can take advantage of. And it's the actual character moving that's tearing and doing the damage. 
or it's something that's burning glowing hot inside them yeah or it's you know but why does it even look like an arrow yeah it doesn't need to look like an arrow we need to break that totally maybe it's even the modron's hand that's just existing in free space dear god reaching through the multiverse kind of deal yeah that's what that's what i'm after (laughs) if you want to be really harsh about it you could even have it grapple the pc and inflict damage every turn they got to now get creative on how to get this (laughs) thing that's inside them out of them or themselves away from it right something weird yeah you've also got that flight speed with a couple of the modrons that i would abs they have wings in the art and that just rubs me the wrong way i'm very sorry but i don't imagine modrons flying around i imagine them maybe like tucking in all their limbs and then just moving at like 90 degree angles i love see i love that because half of us or a good chunk of us play using battle maps on a grid yeah that makes a it's like a meta nod to the fact that there is a grid when the <laughs> yeah. Modrons move in perfect five foot chunks. Yeah, they go in straight lines. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think there's still a lot of opportunity for us to build on top of the Modron for those that aren't purists. Well, I mean, if you're a purist, you're probably done with us. Done. <laughs> you stopped 10 minutes ago. You stopped on the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> but. If we could add some abilities to the Modrons to excite them a little bit, make them a little bit more interesting, and also stop that player that's like, I know all about Modrons. Well, you didn't know about this. How about this attack? Let's juice them bots. So what do you got? Let's start by the little bit of that Flatland inspiration with like a two-dimensional ability, I'm thinking. They gain the ability to slip into cracks or predetermined pathways if you're in Mechanus because they're... They're literally becoming 2D. They're becoming flat. Right. They're just a cardboard cutout of a Modron now. If they turn to the side, they've got cover. I'm thinking of another ability which makes them invisible to one player. A single player can't target a particular Modron because they are entirely flat. Yeah. And they're lining themselves up (laughs) with one player's viewpoint, but not the others. Totally. Yeah, I like that little tweak to it. They choose who to direct their 2D at. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then if we take it down to one dimensional, I think you could give them the benefits of invisibility because they're turning into literally just a line, vertical line. You can't see it. It's moving around. They pop back into three dimensional space. Well, how about the ability to become an ultimate pickpocket? Like we were talking about with an attack being their hand kind of reaching through physical space in a four dimensional way. I think I would have the Modron able to roll a sleight of hand with advantage against any creature that, you know, they're aware of so they can try to steal an item on that person. Mm, I like that. Like they just they snatch anything from your bag or your pockets or strapped to your belt. They then examine it and figure out if it's a threat to them or not. Maybe they even return it afterwards. Oh, the ability to grab the spell scroll right off of one of the players and use it on them. Yeah, totally. Like, this is something else. This is terrifying in terms of fighting Modrons, because as soon as you do that the first time, yeah, now this becomes like, a oh, shit, we've changed the combat. How do we protect our stuff? Holy crap, you've got that, you know, necklace of fireball. That's got like six more charges on it. Yeah. 
Like that is a terrifying danger idea. zone. Got to figure out a way to stop that. I mean, you even got the barbarian with some kind of magic sword holding it out. Ooh. Tries to disarm him, and all of a sudden, this little monodrone is waving around <laughs> a flaming sword. <laughs> <laughs> Have at you! <laughs> oh man, that's chaos. <laughs> Love it. What about how they move? Going back to what we were talking about with ants in the last episode, I think that if anything blocks a Modron's path, they're going to link up and achieve whatever shape is necessary to overcome the obstacle. Yeah. You can't hide behind shit. They're turning into bridges and rafts. and I They mean, just Lego together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept. And since the last episode, we even learned that some ants that travel a lot create bivouacs to be a little breeding ground for the young ants to keep it the right temperature and the right circumstances. This blew my goddamn mind. Yeah, especially since you were just mentioning a Modron door, these bivouacs have doors and windows to help regulate the temperature. What? Yeah. And they raise their young inside a a pocket that is made out of other ants. Purely out of ants, yeah. So they made their own colony hive. They made a building. They made an apartment block. That travels with them, <laughs> they out of them. <laughs> yep. This Which, is the kind of shit that, you know, really blows players' minds. And they're just like, what the fuck actually is that <laughs> crossing the plains over there? We're going to have to go investigate. And if we get into what exists in Mechanus, I'm thinking, you know, every literal thing could be made of Modrons. And players only realize that when the pure metal steel looking bridge they're crossing all of a sudden... 800 eyes open on it. Yeah. And especially when you start to consider that like within Mechanus, when we tweak that fly speed to be just upward movement. Right. And then we combine that with the idea that the Modrons, especially the Monodrones, are kind of the basis of a lot of the buildings and a lot of the structures. Yeah. Again, you've got one Monodrone that's like, I am a window and I'm doing great. Like, I'm always going to be here. I'm doing my job as best I can. Now you add this ability to not be attached to the ground and you've got an otherworldly space. Yeah. You know, enough of this idea of these gigantic gears that are turning. Like, I have a problem with that because it feels very flat earthy to me. (laughs) feels i don't understand how the physics could possibly work so but i can weirdly enough wrap my brain around just these different buildings and blocks made out of monodrones that are just floating right and that's why it's really goddamn hard to traverse mechanis yeah because you need a road that goes upwards Mm -hmm. that spins top wise so that you can (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rotate it top wise yeah. <laughs> absolutely and we think that you can obviously have your modron fights with as many modrons as you want but kind of a neat tactic that we think that they could take is kind of a a logical escalation to the threat this is where you file in a little bit of that leanings towards math yeah so in any combat situation they might start with one modron it's almost like an investigator modron yeah just a, a single monodrone checks things out and if that's defeated they send in the next predetermined grouping so you would go in with three monodromes right and i think it'd be kind of neat you can do this how whatever mathematical pattern you like but i think it'd be neat with those three monodromes in the next wave to have a duo drone with them yeah it's kind of like that next level up then after they're all wiped out you send in one tri drone three duo drones 
and nine mana drones. This is a big fight now. And I love this because this kind of like escalation means, and again, I don't want to do combat necessarily with Modrons. It's like we're trying to improve combat, but we've kind of already came to the conclusion that these characters and these creatures aren't as interesting as how they behave and their culture and all of these other really otherworldly things. So I want to get across to my players that you need to be creative. You need to come up with some other way of thinking your way through these problems. Right. Because there is an endless supply of Modrons. Yeah. And they will continue this pattern ad infinitum. Right. So what are you guys going to do that isn't hit with a sword really hard? And if it takes you a while to learn that lesson, then you're up against quite a few opponents as you're trying to creatively solve this problem. Right. And I kind of like it, too, because they are weak enough that, you know, if anyone's looking for a fight, like if you've got a player that's just like, I want to hit some shit, I'm going to do that for a bit. It's going to be pretty fun wiping out a bunch of monodromes. That's a t-shirt right there. I want to hit some shit and do that for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's just what you're in the mood for in D&D. <laughs> all right. Now, let's put all of this into practice. We need to create a bit of a storyline, a plot line to involve a lot of the stuff that we've talked about into something that's actually applicable to our games. So. Let's run through a setup with a with an adventure. Let's go through how we would actually use this. Right. How we would include a Modron combat in our games if that's what we wanted to do. So the goal we would set up is for the party to need to travel to an unreachable place under a ticking clock. And they're going to do that through Mechanus. We've talked about this a couple of times, but that's that's how we would start. Since we don't want Modrons to take over our campaign, we want them as a stopover. We want to like pepper them in, but then not have them be the focus. So that's why I really like this. You know, when you need to get from point A to point B, you go through Mechanus. Yeah. And nobody knows that Mechanus exists. It's a campaign tool. It's not a campaign in itself. It doesn't right. need to be. Right. We need some story beats to take our players through. So... If we start with where the players are at, we're trying to emphasize that they are stuck. There's no way to get to this destination before the ticking clock expires. Yeah. You establish that absolute need that they've got to traverse a great distance real quick. Find a way to do that. Then the kind of kickoff where they start to understand how they could possibly achieve such an impossible feat is they maybe hear of some single crackpot who's talking about these little tiny mechanical beings and he's preparing for extra dimensional traversal. Right. This it, is a wizard in his tower. He's got a purpose. He's trying to get to Mechanus here. This is Doc Brown levels of instability. <laughs> this is yeah. this is Rick from Rick and Morty that your players are going to meet. Yeah. I would love to do a whole separate conversation about designing a wizard in their lab and their whole purpose <laughs> is trying to access Mechanus. Yeah. But this particular enterprising individual is simply there to provide that kickoff, to provide that method of getting what the players need. 
You gotta go really far, really fast. There's a place that will blow your mind. It's made of more things than you've ever experienced. Your brain cannot comprehend its vastness, but mine can. Yes, see, for I have been there in my mind's eye. (laughs) Well done. Bravo. Right off the hop. Well, (laughs) now we need to encounter a Modron. We need something to get us through Mechanus. And as we discussed in the last episode, we need a guide. We also need kind of an emotional core because we're going to do something (laughs) bad to this single Modron. You monster. So players encounter maybe a rogue Modron who can act as that guide to get them through some of the portals or what have you, however they want to traverse to Mechanus and then through it. This is my friend Cube. He will guide you. <laughs> He's yeah. That's the person <laughs> yeah. that's been working with him. That's great. Then they find the opportunity that they need, the one key that will allow them to do that. So the scientist or the wizard introduces them to the MacGuffin of the story, which is this thing. Maybe it's a chip that they can put on themselves, or maybe it's a you know, something that they can integrate into their armor or their clothes or or even them themselves somehow graft onto their bodies, but something that is the one linchpin to how all Modrons identify one another. And this is coming from ants again, because ants essentially have this ability to tell if something else is an ant by their pheromone. And there's even a spider that can do this exactly. They use their front two legs Make it look like little ant antenna and walk right into the colony saying, hey, what's up? I'm an ant. And then they go to town. So all of this to say that like your players are going to figure out how to go through Mechanus by integrating this into their bodies, even though they look nothing like a Modron. This is how they're going to get through. Yeah, I really like that because then you're so on edge the entire time you're in Mechanus because you know you're out of place. You got to find ways to fit in. Make sure you don't stick out like a sore thumb. And now they enter Mechanus, and it's going to blow their minds. We're going to describe all of the otherworldly things that we see. And then they need to suffer a loss. The players need to be at their lowest moment. And this is where that combat could happen. The trigger for it could be the Modrons discovering a variant in their midst. If the party members at some point in their travels with their little Modron guide do something chaotic, it sets off the alarm. Primus sends out a huge blast of that language we talked about in the last episode. Just a really high-pitched, like, mechanical sound. And if you've seen the series Loki... This is like we'll reference like variants or variations or deviants, whatever we want to call it. But Modrons and within Mechanus would be able to recognize when something is not right. When this entire plane of existence works upon rules, as soon as your barbarian starts to behave like a barbarian, this is going to throw up red flags for everyone around them going something That looks like a Modron to me. I don't have the physical ability to see what is not a Modron. Yeah, I would. If I was doing this, I'd probably even give my party like a three strike system where every weird little thing that somebody does, I'd just like make a tick as like, yeah, the the threat levels just raised a bit. I love that so much. And I, I would like 
I would somehow try to figure out if I could broadcast that to the players. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what we need to get across to them because creative solutions is what we're after. We're not after them to fight their way through this. We want them to realize that there is some mechanic that is going to make them a threat. It's going to make their lives more difficult if they don't try to figure it out. So I love this idea of a three strike system, a scale, a sliding scale that goes up and down. If they act more modronly, then the scale goes down, then they cool off. The more they, they you know, argue amongst themselves or the more they kind of screw up in trying to form some kind of modron bridge and not being a part of that structure, like that's what's going to trigger all the rest of the modrons to go, something ain't quite right. And that's going to push that up into the red zone, which is where the combat ensues. Right. And, and to get there, I think you don't need to do too much work. You just need to plan like a few little challenges for the party to encounter and get through. And if they act up, like you're saying, it can be as simple as there's a gap and some other Modrons are beginning to form a bridge over it. As soon as the players don't help form that bridge, almost in a routine method. Yeah. As soon as they struggle to create that bridge, to hold on to the next Modron and be bridge-like, as soon as they fail that strength save or that will save or what have you, that's when the rest of the Modrons go, uh-oh. Yeah, or like if if they just walk across it like a bridge once it's formed, that might be a tick. Like, yeah, Modrons don't just wait for the bridge and then use it. <laughs> they become a part of it and then disassemble according to the... Uh, order that they assembled in (laughs) right yeah really leans into that otherworldly feel yeah this is when they use some skills they either have a creative solution or they convince a modron that their chips are fine or they are good to carry on whatever creative solution they want this is where they get to finally use it right and overcome the obstacle and then they get to make their way through Mechanus, reach their destination. We're finally through this wild, unpredictable place. But now let's go back to combat, because this is really what we're trying to do, is we're trying to make the combat juicy, fun, interesting, weird, challenging. Yeah. And so what we've done in the past, when we've talked about how we would go through and create and plan a combat, is we want three stages. So we want to change up the combat and not have it be monotonous, We want to understand what is the trigger for each one of those changes. We want to have some kind of environmental change so that it's not simply a fight on a standard plot of land, but that it's really quite dynamic. And then we want to figure out what is that opponent change and how do they change their tactics up. So let's start at stage one. Right, because the trigger for this stage is just going to be the fact that they've discovered variants in the area. They've been detected. Yeah. And now we need an environmental change. Which could be the Modrons that are creating the structures of this area to all of a sudden form into a cube that surrounds the infected zone. See, and I love this because it feels very much like the body trying to get rid of a virus in the same way that like, it would send white blood cells to attack a problem. First, it has to identify what the problem is, then it attacks it. Yeah. And this feels like a very biologically computery kind of way of sectioning off 
quarantining the infection. Yeah. And so they've built up this one thick, one Modron thick wall, and they're going to figure out where it is. I like the idea of that first Modron that we suggested being the combatant, being the investigator here. So like, there's a bunch of Modrons in the area that were going about their business. Cube forms, they all line up. There's one monodrone starts to do some kind of a test on each Modron in a line. And they're coming down towards the party. And we, we kind of discussed this a little bit. And we thought, this could be any kind of test. This could be a math test. This could be a logic test. You can find a lot of fun puzzles online. You could, and again, we might, can the players help each other? Can they speak telepathically? Can they collaborate and try and help each other get through this? Yeah. Or is it something physical where the monodrone is like, I'm going to slide this razor thin key card into the key card slot of every single one of these. And if you flinch while I jam this inside you. Just the fact that it goes in and out is proof enough. Doesn't matter that you're bleeding profusely. <laughs> yeah. So do the players react? Do they do they go along with this? Like, I really want to see what the players would do in this scenario. Yeah. And like, that's the simplest version. But I think if I were doing this, I might, like you said, play some kind of a game. Like I found a game called Chukaruma, which originates in Indonesia, that I think would be a good Modron test because it's like it's a less than two minute single player game that's based on logic. You can literally just draw it on a piece of paper. I'll put a link in this episode just because I think it's kind of fun. Or even something like Tic-Tac-Toe. I love this idea of just quickly smashing out a little logic game. Right. Testing your logical parameters, making sure you're not a creature of chaos that's in here. And it really doesn't need to make a ton of sense. Like the less sense it makes, (laughs) I just, I love this idea of finishing it and then just being like, yep, you're good. Even though you're clearly not. (laughs) This is like Goliath. And it's just like, you're a Modron. You did it. (laughs) uh, I'm bleeding or (laughs) yeah, I figured out your weird fucking logic puzzle. And here we are doing both. You've accepted me. Like you're doing a logic puzzle as it continuously jams this key (laughs) into your gut. (laughs) Can you take the physical damage and solve the mental puzzle? Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of weirdness we need to get into. And then, I mean, when it comes to the combat itself, this Modron's tactics are going to be simple. When it detects the anomaly, I think all the other Modrons in the area are going to turn into the wall. They're just going to walk towards the walls and, and blend in with the cube. And then you've just got your anomalies and this single monodrone is going to eliminate it. Right. It doesn't matter if there's five of you. This is the process. They send in one monodrone to handle the problem and then it ramps up from there. And I honestly think that this is going to build so much tension. Right. Like as soon as you're like, roll for initiative there's five of the players and there's one monodrome and you're surrounded by walls of modrons and you're kind of just thinking like do we kill them yeah do we this isn't seriously a challenge yeah and then all of a sudden you know the the dread starts to set in as soon as we get into stage two yeah which the trigger for that is you know defeating that modron if the party doesn't start getting creative they just kill the modron then that next level is going to come into play, which we were saying could be one duo drone and three monodrones come out of the walls. Right. But we need an environmental change. 
to keep this shit interesting. So uh, the cube tries to maybe isolate some of the variants by pushing them up on pillars of monodrones. Monodrones, you know, stack underneath the player's feet. And wherever the players move, they're going to start being pushed up and isolated. Right. So if you're just sitting there popping off spells and you're not moving... You're getting pushed up onto this pillar, and I'm thinking maybe even one comes down from the ceiling, so like they're trying to pin you in the middle. Yeah, I like that. And I like the idea of, of if you do move, the pillar continues to form. Like they don't cut off the procedure. They just so now mm. this pillar's starting to appear, making this terrain more interesting. Interesting, yeah. And then stage three, the trigger being that those ones are defeated. Right. So now this is going to be the biggest fight that I would get to if I was running this. Like, I wouldn't continue past this fight. Yeah. But this is that one tri-drone, three duo-drones, and nine monodrones. And I'd probably even run those monodrones as, like, one enemy at that point. Yeah, 100%. But the environmental change, this is where we need to, like, really get weird with it. We need the players to start thinking about creative solutions to this problem. And we want this to be the most chaotic stage of the combat. Like things are starting to get wild. So what if the cube began to rotate like on every turn or two turns, depending on how aggressive you want to get with the chaos. But uh, like, so yeah, the cube just chunks onto its other side, forcing gravity to change for the variance for every party member. But the Modrons in this combat are just walking along the walls. Gravity's fine for them. Well, they're, yeah, like half of them can fly. So why the hell not? Yeah, they're just they're moving through space, basically. I think there's really interesting use of hex maps in this whole thing. Like, I know that we maybe got to sit with that one a little bit longer, but I want to just be like, here's another hex map. Place your minis on this (laughs) map. You're all on the left now. Everything has fallen unless you can fly or you have some spells that you can cast. Like, tell me how you avoid taking the damage of falling to the other side of this cube. I think that's a strong option. There's so many more ideas that start to come to me on environmental changes here. Like maybe they have the ability to force gravity into the center of the cube. So unless you have some method, you're just now floating in the middle of the cube. Or maybe the Modrons on the edges of the cube are starting to grab at you. They're trying to grapple you into place. Or There's just so many cool ideas you could run with. And then if they beat this stage, again, I wouldn't just keep them fighting. If they haven't tried to be creative yet, I think at this point, a pentadrone comes forward to converse and try to establish some other solution to this variant problem. Yeah. And maybe they're flanked by like three uh, quadrones. Right. So if if the party really wants to keep fighting, they can. But this modron is about communication, solving the variant problem another way because all of our methods thus far are not working. And I really do. I just want to see players come up with a creative solution to this problem. Is it they start play fighting each other to try and pretend like they are one of the deployed Modrons that's there to find the Deviant? You know, they start attacking one of the others and highlighting them or like, I just just want anything creative. And I, as a DM... I'm probably just going to run with that. Yeah. Do they sacrifice their Modron buddy? Do they 
try to pretend that they were attacking other Modrons and those are the variants and try to persuade, get the bard out front. I mean, honestly, even at this point, if that selfsame uh, Goliath barbarian just ran full tilt towards the wall and put their shoulder into it, they could bust straight through to the other side and they just book it. Yeah, I would also be super cool with that kind of solution because I know that deep down inside they want to fight and they want to win, but they've chosen another alternative to this very logical problem yeah. that knows that there's no end to this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And if that was the case, my brain can't stop. I would do like a Modron chase where your little buddy guide creates a raft of Modrons because he knows how to manipulate their, you know, their systems. So you're flying through uh, Mechanus on a <laughs> Modron raft as a whole bunch of others are trying to take you down. Let's and the get opens up. so friggin' weird with this. Yeah, yeah, so fun. So we're really hoping that that helped you as much as it helped us with thinking through how we would actually play Modrons in our games. What would we do with them? How do we make Mechanus feel really exciting and strange and otherworldly? Yeah. And I really hope that you come share some of the ideas that came to you during this episode. Come and drop those on our Discord or or just leave it in a comment somewhere because this episode got our brains going and we really want to use Modrons now. And it got some other people's brains going too because we're really grateful that some of you have sent in your modrons that you've used in your own games and like your ideas for how to make them wild and weird and fun and you can also if you've got any new ideas from this episode you can also thank lila leprechaun and dangerous marmalade who all came to the patron brainstorm writers room session that kicked all of this off yeah they threw out some ideas we all got started in creating this episode though so thanks very much to you folks and you can come to that too. Patrons get access to the writer's room, which is a private channel within our Discord that we host a once-monthly patron-only hangout where we discuss some of the new ideas that we have for the next episode, and we all sit down and we come up with some brilliant ideas together. Yeah, it's becoming my... Yeah, it's becoming really fun for me to... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're great sessions. I really enjoy them as well. Thank you to all of our patrons. Blackthorn. First Law. Victoria O. Peacock Dreams. DM Thunderbum. Marley R. Gar the Pirate. Time Warp. Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Alan E. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Thomas W. Tie In. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros. Leprechaun. And Will HP. We appreciate all of your support so much flipping much <laughs> i was about to make up a new word to express my gratitude <laughs> don't but make I went up with new flipping. words that's so chaotic the modrons <laughs> will hear yeah that's true as a, another point to bring up sometime in the month of september there is a new issue of arcadia magazine coming out that has content written by myself jordan and the GM Tim, we collaborated to create something that we are really, really proud of. Yeah, we could not be more excited to see this come out. We hope you'll check it out. We'll have more information about it soon. And, spoiler alert, 
we're probably going to be running a giveaway to celebrate the occasion. Wait, that shouldn't be a spoiler. That shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> okay. It's not a spoiler alert. I'm telling you. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're going to run a giveaway. We've never run a giveaway before. I we don't know how to do it, so you'll have to bear with us. We're still figuring out the mechanics of how to do this thing. But on a little table in our studio is a pile of giveaway things treats treats and delights we've got books by keith Amon. we've got minis of monsters that we've done episodes on in the past we've got dice we've got stickers we've got t-shirts we've got uh codes for really cool online platforms that are all a part of this bundle so it's gonna be good we just gotta figure out how to do it first so yeah. if you know how to run a giveaway maybe you should reach <laughs> out to us we're not modrons we don't do things logically it's going to be a chaotic mess. Thank you very much to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. You can join that awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, and, and come watch my brain unfold into cubes. <laughs> <laughs>